0: It's Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, you know, we've gone over the years and talked about all the crazy places that I've done uh, this show from. Uh, let's add in the middle of a tropical storm out by window to our list. Uh, that, that goes along with the street corner in uh, in Orlando and the uh, the airport gate in Charlotte Airport. We pretty much covered it all, but we've never covered tropical storm before.
1: Well, glad you're all well and alive and happy down in the Lakeland, Florida area, Bill.
0: <laughs> well, we're just happy to, happy to be here when these storms come through. Hey, Jet Phillies. We're about the halfway point, Uh, just four games out of first place. Go figure. They're hot all of a sudden. It's not over yet. We're going to offer up some midseason grades. Uh, Chet, college athletics, amateurism is gone. We'll talk about that. And the Olympics are just two weeks away. There's always something
1: going on. Oh, plus the NBA finals are underway. The NHL Stanley Cup finals could be wrapping up in the next uh, night or two. Wimbledon is continuing. And, Bill, you missed the big story. You buried the lead. Ben Simmons has a new girlfriend. Well, I'll sleep better tonight knowing that.
0: What, what can you say? He's a young kid with a lot of money. I can't blame him for having a girlfriend or a lot of girlfriends, if that's how it works out. There you go. Let's move all along, right. Bill. With that, we've got great guests tonight in Inquire.com's Mike Sealski to talk all things Philly sports, Jet.
1: Yeah, you know, we haven't talked with Mike since last January, and a lot has certainly changed on the Philly sports landscape since then. Much of it not for the better, unfortunately, but hey, what can you do? Let's get it going, Bill.
0: Let's welcome Mike Sealski back to Philly Press
2: Box Radio. Mike, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to be back.
1: Hey, Mike. Um, As we said, lots to talk about. Let's go to the Sixers, first of all. Um, The NBA Finals got underway last night. The Sixers aren't there. Dario Sarge, Mikel Bridges, Drew Holiday are there. The current Sixers are not. What do Daryl Morey and company have to do this offseason, and is it a must that Ben Simmons is sent packing?
2: First things first, Chad, we, you forgot Willie Green, who's an assistant coach for the Phoenix Suns. <laughs>
1: there so you let's go. let's get all those
2: ex-Sixers in there. He's not a process Wh- Sixer, but he is an ex-Sixer. Willie could shoot. Yes, he could. Great guy, too. Great guy. Um, what do the Sixers have to do in the offseason? I think they um, have a really challenging few months ahead of them. Um, because in a way, they're in the worst possible position that a any franchise can be. They've got a player who everybody knows they have to move. And that's a bad thing because everybody knows they have to move him. And the idea of moving Ben Simmons um, in the wake of what happened in that Atlanta series and really throughout the playoffs is going to be a Herculean task for Daryl Morey, I think. Um, It would not surprise me if Simmons were still on the roster at the beginning of next season just because Morey is going to wait for what he thinks the absolute best uh, deal could be within the market. Uh, And if that means he has to wait till, you know, the season is a week old or training camp's two weeks old, then I think he'll do it. But yeah, look, for a multitude of reasons, they've got to move on from him, I think. Um, For all the good that he does on the court, as great a defensive player as he is, the guy who's guarding him is always going to be better because... Simmons is going to, when the push comes to shove, Simmons is going to pass the ball and run to the dunker spot and hope nobody throws him the ball back. So you can't have that in your offense. You can't have your point guard completely abdicate responsibility, uh, both for himself and for his entire team within an offensive set. So something's going to have to happen, whether it can, um, and to what degree it might help the Sixers remains to be seen.
0: Well, Mike, sticking with Ben Simmons, as the season unfolded, um, you know, we, we talked about this last week. I guess was uh, you know I have a trouble with the with a guy just all of a sudden turning bad. Uh, he turned bad, and you know we know the talents there. We've seen him be productive. We've seen him be a star. Uh, what happened? Well, I mean, just a mental mental thing. But what or what do you think happened to Ben Simmons?
2: You know, there, there's a lot of theories out there, Bill. Um, obviously, I think. Um, the mental component, if you're if you're ranking all the reasons that this happened, the mental component to this um, is the the largest and the most important one. I mean, I've, I've done pieces about Ben's shooting form and how bad it is, the elbow flaring out and all of that stuff. It's beyond that now. I mean, he had a mental, emotional fear about going to the foul line in that series against the Hawks. And they're going to have to – he's going to have to do something um, to work through that, whether it's a sports psychologist – it's not Instagram videos of him shooting jump shots in an empty gym or in a pickup game. It's got to be something deeper than that. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and and this person brought up the fact that Simmons, and this would apply to Markel Fultz, too, because I had noted that um, the Simmons, the Sixers, in back-to-back drafts, with the number one overall pick, pick, drafted players who not only are poor shooters, but got the yips about shooting, like they had a mental block about it. And this person noted that both Simmons and Fultz were great players at mediocre college programs. They were kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted to do in that year that, you know, Simmons was at LSU and Fultz was at Washington. And if you think about it, their rises to that point were similar, too. I mean, Ben was playing in Australia where basketball is terrific, but he's not playing in the AAU system of America. He's not playing at the absolute highest youth levels Uh, Markel Fultz had a very rapid rise from being just another high school player in the Washington DC area to being, you know, freshman of the year at Washington and the number one overall pick in the draft, even though Washington went nine and 22 while he was in the one season he was there. And I wonder if there's something about that, that once a, a guy like that gets to the highest level of his sport, gets to the NBA and encounters some adversity, um, how does he handle it? You know, is he equipped to deal with it? Um, And certainly there have been players in the past and athletes in the past from similar circumstances, uh, similar backgrounds to those two guys who were able to handle it. But I just wonder if um, their their paths to the NBA contributed at all to the troubles they faced since they've gotten to the league.
1: Hey, Mike, you wrote a piece 10 or 12 days ago about Joel Embiid and the fact that he's 27, he's injury prone, and just how important he is to their future. You made the Yao Ming comparison regarding age and injuries. Is there anything the Sixers can do to try to keep him relatively healthy? He seems to hit the floor hard three or four times every game.
2: What they could do if if they're able to do it, Chet, is um get him another player, another scorer who can take some of the pressure off of him, right? Yeah. I mean, um, one, one Something I noted in, in a previous column was that, you know, he committed eight turnovers in game seven. And everybody looks at that and goes, that's terrible. You can't have that happen. But part of the reason he commits eight turnovers is because he's taking the ball at the top of the key. He's seven foot two inches tall. Mm-hmm. And that's a byproduct of what they have around him in Simmons, a point guard who can't create his own shot, doesn't want to shoot. And Tobias Harris, who needs to get the ball in certain locations on the floor to play to his strengths. Um, And if the Sixers didn't have to rely on Embiid as much as they do, then the chances are pretty good that his career would be extended because you wouldn't be relying on him so much. There wouldn't be as much demand and wear and tear on him because he wouldn't have to be out there as much. Or, you know, when push came to shove in the closing minutes of a game, you give the ball to a Damian Lillard or another scorer or somebody like that. They tried to do that with Tobias Harris. It didn't work. (laughs) <laughs> for, you know, time after time. So um, to answer your question, Chad, I think, uh, you know, a human being that big and that heavy as Embiid, and I don't mean to suggest he's overweight. I just mean that he's seven foot two and athletic and ripped, um, is going to encounter, there's always going to be that risk. And I think that um, that's that to me is the Sixers' primary concern. As much as we're worried about Simmons, Embiid, you know, there's been so much wear and tear in his body already that one bad fall you know, if he goes down, they're going to have to break the whole thing up. They're going to have to do that. And that really, to me, is the ultimate failure of the process, so to speak, that they went through over these last seven years is that he's all really they have still offensively. They don't have any other pieces around him to take the heat off of him. He's still the alpha and the omega of everything all the time. And they had opportunities to put in more pieces around him and weren't able to keep the right ones around him or find the right ones around him.
0: Well, Mike, uh, to to follow up on that, you you said in the opening that there's a lot of work to be done over the next couple of months, and if I'm reading what you're saying now, is they need to blow this thing up. They're they're not going to get it done with Harris and Simmons as a supporting cast for uh, Embiid. Is that is that what you're thinking?
2: Well, I don't think they're going to trade Tobias Harris, and I'm not sure they could. Bill um, Simmons, you know, Simmons is a hard situation because. Everybody can see what the problem is. It's totally naked to everybody. He doesn't want to shoot. He can't shoot. It gums up your offense. It causes problems amongst his teammates. His teammates can see it. You know, watch that, that clip of him passing up the dunk in game seven. And Joel Embiid throws his hands in the air like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, it's it's obvious what effect this is having on a team. And so every other team around the league is going to know that and going to weigh whether to bring that sort of problem onto their roster and and kind of judge whether they think they can fix it. Do I think they need to blow it up? No. I mean, insofar as I think Tyrese Maxey is a player with a ton of potential. I'd love to see him develop. I think if Matisse Theibel can develop any semblance of an offensive game, he has a chance to be a terrific player. I already think pound for pound he might be the best defensive player in the league. Um, You know, they have Harris is a fine player. He's just not a – they gave him a max contract, which I'm not sure – he's worthy of. Um, but they did what they had to do. I I guess that was the market at the time. So you're kind of going to move forward with those guys, unless you're going to put a pack, unless Maury's going to put a package together that involves some of those guys and brings back a true superstar to pair with Embiid. Um, you know, you're going to roll with that and see what you can get for Simmons.
1: Mike, let's switch over and talk a little Phillies later in the show. Bill and I are going to give some grades to, you know, some of the key players, Um, I want to ask you about Joe Girardi, though. Yeah, the team has won four of the last five, five out of seven. They're four games out in the mediocre NL East, but I don't think Girardi's been all that. What is your grade for Joe Girardi this year?
2: You know, Chet, I I don't know what it is with Joe, um, but he can see, like we all can, the condition of the Phillies' bullpen, and yet, with the exception of that one Aaron Nola start against the Marlins last week, where he was at four and two-thirds innings, and you know, gave up the six or seven straight hits in a row, and Joe was trying to get him through the fifth inning. I've never seen a manager who was so desperate to get into such a bad – so bad a bullpen <laughs> as I have with, with Girardi. And, yeah, you know, this is not a, well, we're building for the future kind of moment for the Phillies. This is – we poured a whole lot of resources into this, and we're trying to win right now. And if you're going to pull Zach Wheeler, you know, because he's at 114 pitches even though he's cruising, if you're going to pull Zach Eflin, even though he's pitching a shutout, if you're going to go to your bullpen as often as he does, you know you better have Mariano Rivera and you know, <laughs> um, you know David Robertson in his prime back there. And they don't; they don't have the furthest thing from it. That's the thing I don't get: is why he is so quick all the time to dive into a bunch of relievers who don't perform and haven't performed. If the Phillies are going to make a run at this thing, and I'm not sure they can. Those, those three guys at the top of their rotation are going to drive them. Wheeler, Nola, Eflin. And you got to ride them out. And I know, look, I know baseball's different. I know that these guys are making a lot of money and managers don't – and teams don't want to burn them out or risk an injury. But at some point, you got to rely on a starter to get you get you home um, and just say to the bullpen, you know what, guys? It doesn't matter that you're fresh. Zach Eflin, seven innings in, eight innings in, is a better option than – Whatever, pick a reliever coming out of the bullpen who's fresh and who's going to walk the leadoff hitter and and get everybody stressed.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's funny to me because uh, we know J- Joe is a is a great baseball man as a player and and as a successful manager, but it almost looks like he, he doesn't have a feel for the game or he's not letting the feel for the game manage the game. He's going by the charts and he's going by the analytics and he's making these decisions uh, – you know, lefty-lefty, righty-righty uh, at the plate, even when he's pinch-hitting for his hottest hitter at times. Um, it, it looks like he just doesn't isn't feeling the game, and maybe that's the new way,
2: and I don't like it. Well, here's the thing, Bill. Girardi's been that way for a while. Like, this was the criticism of him in New York. I was up working in New York and covered the Yankees a tiny bit, in 2010, 2011, 2012, this was the complaint about him then, that he was binder Joe, you know, that he was, you just flip through and find the right page and boom, you know, punch the decision in the computer and it spat it back out. And, you know, all we have to do, and this isn't a situation involving Girardi, but all you have to do is go back to game six of the World Series last year, where Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays makes a decision that is totally divorced from the reality on the field and any sense of feel and humanity and reading the circumstances of a situation. Um, and those things matter. You know, I, I always, when this discussion comes up and I see both sides of it to a degree, but when this discussion always comes up, comes up, I always think of something Charlie Manuel said after the Phillies won the world series in 2008, somebody, he, if you guys remember, Out of the shoot, when the game, when game five picked up again after the rainstorm, he sent Jeff Jenkins up to pinch hit for whoever it was. I forget, maybe in the pitcher. And somebody asked him after the game, Why did you send Jenkins up in that situation? Jenkins had been a disappointment all year. And as it turned out, Jenkins rocketed a double to right center field and he ended up scoring, or the pinch runner form ended up scoring. And the Phillies took the lead and, of course, went on to win the game. And Charlie said, Jeff Jenkins is a good low ball hitter. The pitcher who the Rays had in the game throws a lot of low pitches. I thought it was appropriate to send Jeff Jenkins up there. I mean, Charlie didn't say it that way. He said it the way Charlie says it, but you get the sense. And it was just like, you know what? I got a feel, you know, I've watched Jeff Jenkins hit for a full season. I've seen the scouting report of this pitcher look like a good match to me. Let's roll the dice. Now, maybe that would have failed in another situation, you know, nine out of another 10 times, but it worked in that situation. And, that's what you pay a manager for. It's not just to follow the binder or follow the formula or, you know, I mean, go back to Doc Rivers in, in the Sixers-Hawks series. Like, he's still playing 10 guys in game seven of this. Like, your season's on the line here. The circumstances are different. Things have to change. And sometimes you can't manage that way or coach that way all the time, but you got to balance the two sides of it, and I wonder if Girardi does that enough.
0: agree, agree. Agree. Hey, you you mentioned Doc Rivers, uh, Joe Girardi, um, Elaine Vigneault. They the the Philly sports uh, scene brought in some what were supposed to be real quality people. Uh, Nick Sariani kind of is the the outlier in this. Um, What do you what do you make of the outcome of this? I mean, it's it's all you know. It's the whole Jimmy and Joe story. You got to have the Jimmys and Joes to be able to get it done. But uh, they brought in some pretty high priced people and uh,
2: really haven't had a whole lot to show for it right yet. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Bill. Um, the dynamics with each of those are kind of different to a certain degree. Like, all right, so take Vigneault, okay? Vigneault's rep in New York, his last stop with the Rangers, was that he was more of a player's coach. Well, he was a player's coach with the Rangers relative to the guy who had been the Rangers coach before Elaine Vigneault, who was John Tortorella, <laughs> who ruled with an iron fist. By any definition. Okay. So no matter who you brought, the Rangers brought in after Tortorella, then it was going to be perceived as a player's coach. It's just so happened. It was Vigneault. They get to the finals. They they almost get to the finals again. They have a good run before it kind of peters out. Well, relative to Dave Haxtall and Scott Gordon, Vigneault has much more credibility within that locker room and much more credibility. I think within the organization as a whole, at least I would hope, hope so. So that when he says jump, the players are going to be more expected to say how high. And so um, with respect to the Flyers this past season, COVID was obviously a factor for everybody, but I wonder how much of what we're going to see from them moving forward is going to be influenced by what Vigneault's feedback on this team after two seasons is going to be. Like, hey, guys, here's what you need to get rid of. You know, it ain't working here. And whether that whether they're going to listen to the to him or not, you know. There's some dis- debate and discussion. I think publicly, even uh, amongst Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher and Vigneault about where the blame for what happened this past season really lies. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers, same sort of thing. Like he wasn't a hard ass with Ben Simmons. He was not. He he went the other way. He tried to accentuate Simmons' positives throughout the course of the season, right up until the moment that he couldn't accentuate them anymore You're because right. everybody could see the negatives. You're right. Um, and Girardi is a You know, he was a accountability kind of guy. That's how he was brought here. Oh, he's a professional. He's done this before. He'd been with the Yankees, been with the Marlins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He'll be, he'll, you know, hammer them down more than Gabe Kapler. Well, things aren't a whole lot different with the Phillies. It sure seems like that, you know, to a great degree, the amount of policing a coach or manager has to do within a locker room comes down to the people who are already in that locker room. Okay. Larry Boa was the wrong manager for the veterans that he had at the end of his tenure with the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Charlie Manuel was the right manager for the veterans he had during their run of greatness that 5 years because the veterans in that room, the leaders in that room were Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley and Ryan Howard who didn't need to be prodded and goaded and yelled at by their manager. They just needed him to say, go play ball, guys, and police yourselves, and if you screw up, I'll come down on you, okay? Girardi had Derek Jeter and Rivera and Posada and all these guys who were not only great players, total pros, Bernie Williams. Um, You know, Vigneault with that Rangers team had some veteran guys and some young guys who were wired a certain way. That doesn't mean that you you take all the credit off of those guys. You know, Rivers with the Celtics in 2008, I mean – you know Kevin Garnett was going to start breaking skulls if guys didn't play hard and do the right thing and never mind that you had Ray Allen and Paul Pierce there as well okay so again i don't mean to suggest that it's the the coach or manager plays no role at all but i think we undersell sometimes the amount of influence and power and effect that the right kind of guys in a locker room can have too
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I don't know if we're going to get Chet back, so I'm going to jump over, and I know he wanted to talk to you about this, but I'll cover it. Uh, You have your book. uh, You talked to us about some in January when you were with us. uh, Kobe Bryant, Uh, tell us how that's going. Give us a little more detail. You've had six more months to work on it. Uh, When's it coming out?
2: All right, so it comes out on January 11th. Um, It's available for pre-order on Amazon and other bookstores online right now. Um, It's called The Rise, uh, and the subtitle is Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. And uh, it's in the editing stage. It's kind of gone through most of that. There it is. If you're watching, you can see the cover. Um, uh, It's a look at basically the first half of Kobe's life. If anybody has seen the movie Batman Begins, which is kind of Batman's origin story, uh, this is Batman Begins for the Black Mamba. It deals with Kobe's adolescence, uh, his time in Italy, his career at Lower Merion, his life as a black teenager in a you know, wealthy suburban Philadelphia school district. It gets into his recruiting and his decision to go to the NBA. It kind of tells the story that gets forgotten a lot when people think about Kobe Bryant. You know, Everybody in the Philadelphia area, generally speaking, is pretty familiar with Kobe's story at Lower Marion, but a lot of people around the country and around the world think of him as a Laker first, foremost, and always. And I hope that this book kind of tells the story that people either didn't know or had forgot because it's pretty dramatic. I mean, Lower Marion wins a state championship with him. They had not been a great basketball program uh, before Kobe got there. Uh, I'm telling the story of kind of how he gets recruited and kind of how that, how his recruitment and his decision affected people around him. There's a There's a narrative about a particular college basketball coach whose fate was kind of in Kobe's hands. Um, So there's a lot there. And I got some access to uh, tapes and interview transcripts that uh, very few people, if anyone, have ever had access to before of interviews that Kobe had done when he was a senior in high school and in his first year with the Lakers. So I used some of that material as well, some new, fresh material uh, that people should be – I hope people are interested in uh, with respect to Kobe
0: interesting well you know one thing Mike and I've, I follow Kobe like everybody else in the in the area uh, but what I was really taken back by is how much respect the guy had for and everything that came out after the fact that uh, I mean just all the people along the way that he helped out that, that no one knew about um, the, the the person it turns out it sounds like the person was better than the player and I, I don't know that people thought that about
2: about Kobe Bryant? Well, I think Kobe was a complex guy. I think, you know, looking at him strictly as a high school kid, he could be, he kind of wore personalities like they were articles of clothing in some ways. Like when it came to basketball, he was driven like nobody else could possibly be driven. That was the, the beginning and ending of his kind of existence to a great degree. Like when it came to basketball, don't get in his way. Um, because he was going to tear you up and knock you down or whatever the case may be. Um, But there were layers to him. Uh, You know, he was well-read. He was a terrific student. His mother was a devout Catholic. And in some ways that kind of informed, you know, his personality and the way he handled things. And um, you know, there, there was a, there's a lot more to it. And there are, there are aspects of his young life and his story at that time that kind of foreshadow some things that happened later in life. Both the good and the bad, you know, particularly, I'm thinking of the incident and scandal in Aurora, Colorado, in two thousand three and two thousand and four, the sexual assault allegations and charges. Um, so there's a lot there. Was he a great guy in some respects? Absolutely. Was he complex and not such a great guy in a lot of respects? Yeah, that was the case too. And y- you know, if you're going to do a book like this, you've got to present the whole human being or at least as much of him as you can in the um you know, in the parameters of your story. So, I, I I hope I did that.
0: Good, and and also I think everyone probably knows about the situations with his parents. Uh, did that Did that ever get resolved be, before he passed? And and were you able to address that? Were you able to uh, to get with Joe and and Pam
2: anywhere along the way? Uh, Joe and Pam did not speak to me for the book. No one from the family did. Um, I wrote them a letter and sent them a package of clips of my writing to say, Hey, here's how I'll treat you know. The book and your son's memory, and you guys, and I never heard back from them. I did hear through interme- intermediaries that they knew I was doing the book, but I never heard from them. But yeah, I make reference to the fact that uh, Kobe had the falling out with his mom and dad, and it was never really rectified. And, you know, there's a lot of that backstory, Bill, kind of hangs over the book in a lot of ways. You know, I kind of went into it thinking, you know, I don't have to re explain or retell a lot of Kobe's later life. Um, People will be familiar enough with that so that when they read this book, they will kind of bring that to the table. So if there's an anecdote um, that I provide that no one's ever heard before about Kobe early in his life, then they'll go back, the reader will go back in his or her own mind and say, oh, I can connect that to what he did or what he said or what happened later on when he was an adult. And hopefully it makes for kind of a richer reading experience for anybody who gets the book.
0: Very good. Chet, uh, I think you're here for a minute. Uh, Have you
1: been listening? And you have anything to add to Mike about the book? I've heard the whole thing. Clearly, I have some major problems on my home internet setup. I've never done a show from home before, and hopefully I'll never do that again. (laughs) But uh, yeah, sounds like a great book. I can't wait to read it next January.
2: Thanks. I don't care if you read it, Chet. Just buy it. (laughs) <laughs> okay the there you go uh, all right well hey thanks, mike, mike uh
0: we we ran out of time already i uh, appreciate you joining us working us through our uh technical issues here but uh great no stuff as always
2: thanks guys always enjoyed very much have a good all one right. thanks, thanks. hey chet uh maybe
0: you're sitting on your couch or something because you're getting more mileage right now than your car so uh <laughs> it's time to start saving with all states pay as you go auto insurance
1: Well, Bill, I am very uh, unorganized this morning, clearly, or is it disorganized? I don't know, but I will tell you about Allstate and the pay-as-you-go insurance plan. Let's see if we can get things working properly here. Bill, it's one of those days. So, uh, yeah, Allstate. Pay-as-you-go auto insurance. It puts you in control. You only pay for the miles you drive with the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers. Pay-per-mile insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with pay-per-mile car insurance by calling your local agent. In Westchester, Pennsylvania, that is Dave LaVoy. Call Dave at 610-430-0700. Once again, 610-430-0700. Start to save more now that you are driving less. Let's see if Willie's going to sing for us because I need a little Willie tune right now. Hey, everybody. It's Willie Nile here, and you're listening to Chet and Bill on Philly Press Box Radio. You lucky people.
0: There you go. We got Willie. We got Willie, right? That's good. All right. Hey, Chet. Uh, the Phillies. They're at the mid-season point. Actually, 83 games, so just two two games over the mid-season point. Um time for some mid-season grades, but by, by the way, Zach Wheeler and JT Realmuto have been selected to the All-Star game. So let's start there. Good choices for those two and did anybody get snubbed? Well,
1: congrats to Zach and to JT. I really thought Wheeler, you know, would be the Phillies' lone All-Star. He certainly deserves it. JT's numbers this year though are very wait for it bill pedestrian. Um but I, I guess <laughs> this might have been one of those reputation selections. Uh, as far as grades, we were going to talk about grades. Zach Wheeler definitely gets an A for what he's done this year. Six wins should have more. Uh ERA 2.04 or whatever it is. Quality start pretty much every time out there. Uh for JT so so numbers. I'm gonna give JT a B minus. You concur? Uh certainly an A for Wheeler. Uh B yeah,
0: B minus would probably be about as high as I would go with. With JT and not as much. Well, he's been been banged up for one, but uh, they're still a lot of bases, and uh, that that's not like him again. A lot of that goes with the pitcher, you know, holding runners and all that. But he hasn't been a rock behind the plate uh, either, like we expected. But you know, once you get nicked up, you got to get healthy again. Another A, and I only have one other A to give out, Jed, I believe, and that would be wow. Gene Segura. Um, you know, he he was a hit machine before he got hurt. He comes back. He's hitting again. I believe he's hitting at 330 now. Uh, I believe Gene Segura gets my only other A
1: to go along with Zach Wheeler. I'm going to go A- minus for Gene Segura. He uh, is certainly hitting, but he still doesn't hustle 100% all the time. I know you can say that about a lot of major leaguers, but that just bugs me. And he's a so-so fielder, so I'm going to go A- minus for Gene Segura. But, uh, yeah, he's certainly having a good season. Okay. Uh, Reese talk. Hoskins, Bills. Did Reese Hoskins get snubbed? A couple of our listeners think maybe Reese should have been an All Star.
0: No, you can't be an All Star when you're hitting 220. Chet,
1: now he's okay. He's hitting 232 now, so he's up there. I believe he's actually 235 uh,
0: after let's last night's out. pile of hits, but uh, 236. There you yeah, go. Uh, you know, I, I think I think he's having a nice season. Um, You know, he needs to be a 260 hitter, and then he's having a great season. Um, I I just don't think you can put 220 or 225, whenever they were picked. He's got a lot of hits this week. Uh, 220, 225 hitter is not going to make the All Star team. Um, I I raised the uh, comparison to our buddy John Roberts, that it's like a Dave Kingman type of thing. He hits a lot of home runs, he's driving in some runs, but. He's hitting 220, 225. You're just not going to make it. And he's. it's not like he's making up for it with a gold glove.
1: Yeah. Well, that's for sure. But I mean, he is on pace now for, I think, 38, 39 home runs and little over a hundred RBI, which is certainly not bad. But as you said, you'd like to see the average up around two hundred and sixty. but when you have an O for 23 and an O for 30, something that's going to take a toll on the average.
0: Absolutely. And and it's that inconsistency. I think that really has hurt him. If he would just, if he could just hit a little bit during those lulls, uh, you know, that average would be up at 250, 260. And now you got a heck of a player.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I like Reese. I really hope he does get it together and succeeds. And it looks like he's starting to uh, hit a little bit again. And remember last week, Bill, I said, man, they need somebody like a Reese or a Bryce Harper to get hot. Well, Bryce has certainly done that. Five hits last night. He's got uh, like seven homers in the last ten games. Finally got a homer with more or with somebody on base. He had 13 or 14 homers that were solo, but he had a three-run shot in the – slaughter of the Cubs last night. So that was great to see. Uh grade for Bryce Harper, Bill? Um I, I think he I think you
0: have to say maybe a C for Harper. Oh. Um,
1: well and, and
0: it's only because of the injuries. I think he's been nagged all season long. Uh what do you have his average at there? He's down the bottom. Not bad. 15 homers, 30 RBI. You can't get RBIs if guys aren't on base in front of you. So I don't know that that, you know, what are you going to do about that? But um, the, the injuries and I think the nagging, I just can't give him a whole lot because 30 RBIs, he's on a pace for 60. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's not good enough.
1: Well, because of uh, the fact that he missed several games, and, you know, we're still halfway, less or right around halfway into the season. He was able to get his average up 15 points last night with that five-hit game. So 282 looks a lot better than 267. And, you know, as long as he does stay healthy and it looks like he's healthy now, you know those homer and RBI numbers are going to go up. So that's great. And uh, Andrew McCutcheon, I'm surprised his average is still as low as it is, 233, because he's been picking it up lately. And he's got 14 homers. And I thought his days of, you know, 20, 25 homers were in the past, but McCutcheon has really come on a bit of late.
0: Yeah. And and one other note on Harper, as you look at the stats there, Chet, you know, we can say about the solo homers, but when you only have 11 doubles, uh, so if you weren't hitting home runs, he wasn't getting extra base hits either. Uh, As for McCutcheon, he has gotten hot again and they sure needed him. And, uh, you know, I, I would still say, um I'm giving him a C, too, and and the reason that I'm doing that is he struggled so much early, and he struggled defensively early. He cost them a lot early on. He looked like he'd never played left field before. Uh, yeah. but, but what I do like is the fact that now we're starting to see Harper, McCutcheon, Hoskins, Segura all hot at the same time, and we're seeing what this offense can do.
1: Well, I'm really curious to see what you uh, give as far as a grade to the third baseman because I know you like the guy, but he's hitting two thirty six For Alec Bohm, I'm going to have to say a C-minus this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm going C-minus as well. Uh, defensively, I, I'm not too worried about that. He He's going to get better at that. We knew he had defensive struggles before they ever brought him up. Uh, but I'm going to give him a little benefit of the doubt because theoretically he's still a rookie. Uh, you know, he's played, uh, he's got him as 81 games this year. What did he play like 50 last year? Yeah. He really doesn't have a full major league season in yet. A lot of growing to do. He's going to get better. Um, but so far I'll, I'll go C minus, but I think there's still a ton of
1: upside to, to Alec Bohm. Uh, we've got to talk about the pitching staff. Uh, the starters have done better than expected. The shocking thing to me is Aaron Nola has not looked like an ace much of the time. He's getting strikeouts more than he has ever had in the past, but he's just very inconsistent, and he got the win last night. He's 6-5 and now. Hard to believe he has the same number of wins as Zach Wheeler, but his ERA is up to 4.53, which is actually higher than that Vinny Velasquez. Yeah,
0: I think you hit it right on the nose. It's inconsistent. Um, You don't know what you're going to get from him, and, and, you know, the last start, I guess it was, was it the last start that he melted down and gave up the six or seven hits in a row? And it almost looked like the same thing was going to happen last night. He had a big cushion, got a couple outs, and then all of a sudden he's starting to give up hits. Uh, Interesting though, I was listening to this on the radio, the game on the radio uh, when he gave up all those hits in a row the other night. And uh, Larry Anderson kept commenting that he's given up 0-2, two out hits. Uh, what what's with the pitch selection what's with the pitch location why it just shouldn't happen and in that game um and when we saw the same thing with Nerez the other night i'm sure we'll get to him but you know he gets the first two guys out he's got two strikes on the hitter and all of a sudden he gives up six runs uh those, those things just don't normally happen so I, that that's a little curious to me
1: yeah indeed uh we could talk about the bullpen but let's face facts they are not good last year they got an f this year maybe a D minus as far as Hector Naris, what's below F? can we give him a G Is that even a grade? he's not good <laughs>
0: <laughs> No no and uh, you know I, feel, I actually feel bad for Hector Naris you know he he's not he's not been awful in his career. Uh, he's certainly struggling now but the other night when when he got pulled after giving up those six runs with two outs and he was on the and, and Joe did a nice job. Going down there, trying to coach him up, and and a grown man sitting in the dugout wanting to cry because he wants to do better, and for whatever reason he's just struggling, and it, I I really feel bad for him. And uh, I thought they would bring him out last night to pitch the ninth inning, and instead they just let him throw one pitch. He got one out, and they didn't bring him back. <laughs> uh, so, but as far as the bullpen, I think the only the only real bright spots I can I'm going to give Brogdon a decent grade. I'm going to give um, Alvarado a an adequate grade and Archie Bradley probably an adequate grade and after that
1: no rain, Ranger Suarez Ranger with yeah, yeah and this uh, week's closer
0: <laughs> right right and uh it, it looked like uh Bailey um falter falter you know it looked like he was going to be all right he still doesn't have enough time but then he struggled last night so he faltered he, he faltered. Yes, he did. So, uh, and and the fact, you know, I find it I find it interesting that they feel like they need to put a tag on somebody that you're the closer. The, the, you're the next guy with the ball. Get the last three outs.
1: Yeah, it's going to change from week to week anyway. So, uh, just say be ready to pitch anytime. Yep. So, what's your grade on Joe Girardi? Let's throw that out there. Uh, my grade on Joe is going to be a C. He's he's lost too many games for them this year. As Mike alluded, he is too quick to pull a pitcher from a game when he's got a crappy bullpen coming in behind the starting pitcher. So, yeah, I'm going to go see, and that's being generous for Joe.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, he's – this analytics thing, he's caught, he's caught in the trap, it looks like. And, uh, you know, I, I said this the other night, kind of just kidding, but it's – I'm not really kidding. It's a lot easier game to coach when you have Mariona Rivera to, to make it an eight inning game and you have Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez to plug in your three and four spot every night. Uh, it makes the game a little bit
1: easier. <clears throat> and as I said before, totally unrelated, remind me to never again do a show from home because I clearly have crappy internet cause things aren't syncing up right now. And, uh, I'm getting dizzy just looking at us <laughs> actually on my
0: end, you're, you're, you're not too far off now. You're, pre- you're pretty close. All <laughs> right. Anything else to add to uh, the Bills before we move on?
1: Uh, as you said, some key games coming up. I got to win these next two in Chicago and then hopefully get one or two up at Fenway this weekend going into the All-Star break because uh, let's put those standings up again real-, real quick. They are somehow back, back into second place. And... Only four games out of first, and that's not working now, is it? So everything's slowing down on my end, Bill, and my computer is probably going to crash, and you're going to carry the rest of the show. But yeah, four <laughs> but, games out, and hopefully they can stay at least at that yeah, and, level and the Mets, going into the, the All Star break. have
0: the Mets still have two games in hand too, so that's that's not good. That could be five five games or more.
1: <clears throat> All
0: right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to all the shows over at the Edge of Philly Sports Network, Yeah, which um, we are
1: part of. Are you there? Yeah. I'm here. I'm trying to uh, remove the standings now. As we noted, my internet is crappy, so tell us about the EOP gang, Bill. All right. Well, this episode is being streamed live across Facebook, Twitter,
0: YouTube, and now on Twitch. You can also catch all the action on www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, and like buttons. And as always, share with your family and friends. And In addition to this great show, check out our affiliates, including the Broad Street Bully podcast uh, that releases every Monday with Drew, Jeff, and Doyle talking Flyers hockey and some amazing guests and hilarious banner. That live show will be returning soon as it won't be long in – The Stanley Cup will be over and we'll be starting back up again. Lax Philly, Kevin, Gary, and the team covering everything lacrosse from Philly and beyond. Great articles, videos, and soon a live show exclusively on EOPsports.com. Edge of Philly Sports Live, Joe Freddie and Big Al cover 4 for 4 and so much more. Philly Sports watch live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Birds IQ, Kyle and Eric Quinn will be returning with their live show soon every Monday during the season at 7 p.m. Then the Patterson Avenue Fanatics every Saturday morning. Wake up at 9 a.m. with TK, Marks, James, Dave, Paul, and Damon and get your Philly sports talk on. <coughs> there you go. Well, Chet, hey, remember um,
1: it's time to ring the bell. Can you, Do you have a bell at home? I do not have a bell, and I don't have a random chat segment this week because we've done six months of it, and now it's just going to become more random. So occasionally I'll throw it in there. Other times I will not, and uh, not doing it this week, and I'm kind of glad now giving the internet crapola that I'm dealing with from home this week.
0: All right. Well, we'll we'll make it happen. Well, I know you have a guest lined up for next week. Mike Sielski, uh, great as always. Could have talked to him all night long. Uh,
1: who we got coming to Philly
0: Press Box Radio next week.
1: Well, Bill, next week we're going to have a return visit from a guy that I know you've come to enjoy. I'm a big fan of his as well. He'll be joining us for the first time since late last year, and it will be his fifth visit overall. In fact, I'm going to throw up the banner from his last visit. We'll see if it ever shows up. There it is. Yeah, he was with us last November 11th. He is from the WIP Midday Show, and he co-hosts the Go Birds and High Hopes podcast. It's James Seltzer. Not only does James have great insight on the entire Philly sports scene, but he's also a whole lot of fun every single time that he joins us.
0: He is. He is. He'll be, he'll have people fired up. That's for sure. Uh, he, he's an yeah. exciting guy and, uh, and smart too, knows his stuff. Looking forward to that. that will be good. And I'm going
1: to put him on the pop culture hot seat again, because that was so much fun last time. We're going to do that again. And
0: he enjoyed that as well.
1: He did. He really good did.
0: Deal. Wait, Chet, um, not necessarily Philly sports related, but uh, college athletes are now able to be paid for NIL, name, image, and license. What are you thinking of that? And uh, yes, they still get a free education as well as being able to market themselves. And one addition, uh, late last night after I had already put this together, I read that um, a company has offered every Miami Hurricane football scholarship player, all 90 of them, a check to uh, promote their company. All 90 guys Hmm. are going to get paid by a, uh, what do they call them, Uh, whatever the the golden cane or whatever they call the, uh, the, the, the highest donators from the
1: University of Miami. What do you think of all this? Interesting. You know, I don't have real strong feelings about it either way. I do think there should be some sort of compensation or stipend or something for these young athletes who are, you know, helping to promote the school and the sport. But beyond that, I just don't know. I don't know how far you can take it. I have a hunch you have some more definitive feelings.
0: Well, I do, and but I, but I have them both ways. Um, hmm. I, I think that what they're doing right now is a train wreck. Um, I understand that Oregon, uh, some of the players from Oregon have been signed by Nike, uh, to promote their stuff. How do you control that? That's money. That's money. they just going to run through a funnel. Uh, how do you, uh, how do you keep some sort of control on, on it stipends where everybody, you know, the guy at temple gets the same thing as the guy at Oregon. Uh, I'm okay with that. I, I think, but I, I think it just slants the field. And the more money that, uh, you know, Phil Knight and Nike want to dump in the Oregon program, uh, if you can go there and and get paid a million dollars I and you're 19, 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, it, it's just going to make the rich richer and and I have a bunch of also rants. With that said, uh, I, one thing I want to add is there's a young guy that I coached. He's not really young anymore, that I coached here at Lake Gibson that ended up being a quarterback at the University of South Florida. When he got to South Florida, they did not even open the upper deck at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, Quickly, he became a starter. He became a star. They sold out the stadium. Everybody had on number eight jerseys in the whole city of Tampa. Um, He was setting records in the conference. They became number two in the country with him at quarterback. His senior year, about four games in, he blew his knee out. End of story. No NFL career. He probably wasn't going to be an NFL player anyway. And he graduated and got a job. Um, everybody benefited but him. So with that, that's my other side of the story.
1: Um, yeah, you know, it's going to take a couple of years for them to figure this all out and get get it the way that it should be. That the most people are going to benefit the universities and the students. So uh, it's going to be a work in progress for sure.
0: Yep. Yeah, well, well, we'll certainly talk more about it because I think uh, the more we learn and the more all these people are getting signed up for these different things, uh, some people are certainly that, that have played the game uh, are certainly going to have very strong feelings on how this all goes.
1: Hey, speaking of signing up for things, Bill, uh, the Philly sports trips are happening this week. And this week they have a bunch of people out at Wrigley Field and will then also be going to Fenway for the weekend series against the Red Sox. And then this fall, there's what they're calling the Birds Ultimate Vegas Trip. You get to go out and see the Eagles take on the Las Vegas Raiders. And there are all sorts of different packages, you know, including the game, or not, uh, just the tailgate. Uh, some will include transportation, some won't. won't but uh, check the website, phillysportstrips.com. There are all sorts of uh, packages available, like I said. And John Dorenboss will be there, plus uh, one of the guys from 97.5, The Fanatic, John Kincaid. So it's going to be a fun trip if you can go. phillysportstrips.com. Check it out. That's going to be crazy.
0: The Philly faithful will be traveling well.
1: In Vegas. (laughs)
0: For sure. All right. Good stuff. Hey, Chet, Olympics just around the corner, a couple weeks away. Already some controversy, which I hate because
1: I love the Olympics. Are you a big Olympic fan? Not as big as you, and I'm certainly not an American, but I just don't get as excited about it as a lot of people. I want to see all of our athletes do well, certainly, but – you know, I'll I'll watch some of it for sure. Um it's fun and I know it's great for the country and you know America usually does pretty well, gets a lot of medals, which is nice, but yeah, I'm not a guy who gets all pumped up about it, but you know, it's certainly a wonderful thing and despite the issues, I know they're going to have great ratings next month over in Tokyo.
0: Yeah, I I just enjoy it because it's not like I do a whole lot of homework. I don't I don't really know who who the athletes are going to be unless they're you know Simone Biles, Biles and those that right. are coming back, uh, but I just enjoy watching great athletes, and this is their their moment to shine. And uh, I, I just really, really enjoy watching them, and uh, I, I actually can't get enough of it. And when then when you see somebody like uh, you know like Michael Phelps was and uh, Ledecky, the the young lady swimmer that's just ridiculously good and Biles, and those that are just so on top of their game, do great things. Um, To me, it's awesome. What I hate, of course, is going to be the whole political side because everybody seems to want to have a message, and my message is I want to see Americans win gold. I don't care who they are.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and uh, yeah, I'll I'll certainly be watching some of it and rooting for our athletes, so uh, go USA. Absolutely. How about a parting shot? Do you have one of those today? I do not have a parting shot per se, Bill, but I do want to say one thing. Happy birthday to this legend, Bill. Let's see if I can get his picture up on the screen. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Bill, but this guy, Ringo Starr, was in the Beatles. Yeah. This is a a very recent... Yeah, this is a very recent picture of Ringo, by the way. Yeah, there might be a little hair dye going there. Ringo is 81 years old today, and as I mentioned uh, previously on our show, I had tickets to see him in June of last year. That show, because of COVID, got postponed to June of this year, and because things were still iffy when they were doing the schedule, they postponed it again until next June. So I'm going to go see Ringo next year in Philly when he'll be a month shy of his 82nd birthday but it is going to happen with a little help from his friends. So, happy birthday, Ringo Starr!
0: Very cool. Very cool. I have <laughs> I have one for you, Chad, as a follow up to uh, last week's John Facenda um, piece you did. We talked about, and you, yeah. you did a little uh, parting shot on. I, I did a. I, I stumbled across something uh, this week as a follow up that I thought was really cool. Any idea how John Facetta started at NFL Films, besides the fact that he was a local newsman? Uh,
1: well, I remember that, uh, I guess it was Ed Sable met him in a bar somewhere and heard his voice in the mid-60s, 64 or 65, and said, wow, that's a great voice. How would you like to come do some narration for us? Something like that?
0: Something like that. 1965 at the local tavern, the, tavern, the RDA Club, all right, they happened to be showing NFL films, and it had the slow motion, which was already done at uh, um, NFL Films. And Facenda was not there with Ed Sable. Ed Sable happened to be at the bar as well. Um, and John started talking about how how cool it was and this and that and kind of started doing a little narration piece. And Ed Sable asked him if he would uh, be interested You're reading a script, and from that, that's how John Facenda became the voice of God. Who knew?
1: Yeah, yeah, from then until his death in 1984, and man, I I still love hearing him today. And hey, Bill, while we were giving grades earlier, you know, the Phillies grades, we uh, didn't give one to Ben Simmons' new girlfriend, Maya Jama. She is uh, part Somalian and part Swedish and considers herself British because, you know, she lives over there. But uh, she would get a good grade, too. We don't have to go into any detail.
0: I think she just got more time on Philly Press Box Radio than she deserved (laughs)
1: uh,
0: because she would probably be gone before this show's over. There will be somebody (laughs) in her place. So uh, no further comment on her.
1: All right. We will leave it at that. And Bill, I got nothing else. And, uh, I'm going to call Fios and say, Hey, my internet's crappy. Come and take care of this. Will you?
0: Well, it's tough to do these shows from
1: home because, uh,
0: you, you know, the struggles I used to go through, uh, I remember fixed, but, uh, yeah, I think when you, when you run these programs, they, they suck the juice out of your, uh, out of your internet. And it makes it very difficult to to run. So no problem. We got through it. Uh, Good time ahead. Let's put a wrap on it and thank tonight's special guest, Mike Silski, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chet this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. and We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, July 14th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, Radio dot com, on blogtalkradio.com, dot slash Philly Press Radio on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and others. With that, Chet, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. And now, folks,
1: that's it. Good night to all of you, and good night, Mrs. Calabash. We're